0: Did you miss Canty and Carlin?
1: It is just that, and man, I'll tell you what. That was a blockbuster of a trade made last night by the San Francisco 49ers and the Carolina Panthers. We will get into Christian McCaffrey moving to the NFC West in mere moments. It is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper call-in line at 888 say espn Canty, what is going down?
2: Man, it's a football Friday, and Carlin, based on my sports fandom, that's all I have to look forward to now. Right. I know we had the sports equinox yesterday mm. where all four major sports leagues were in action, but let's just say two of the teams that I'm really passionate about came up just... Last a little bit short. Boy, you're, Just in a, a little bit short. you're in a
1: couple of long goodbye situations right now, they're my
2: bo- friend. They're both 0-2. <laughs> they're both 0-2. My Yankees <laughs> in the LCS and then my, my Los Angeles Lakers. So,
1: not great, Bob. Yeah. Not great. I got I got bad news for you. The other one lasts till
2: April. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do I still have to watch Russell Westbrook shoot the way he shot last Chris, night? Chris, you don't have to do anything. No, I, <laughs> but I'm a fan. I have to watch it, but...
1: Then, yes. Do they have to keep putting him out there? Yep. Until... All- until they tell them to stay home, they have to keep putting them out there. And that's got to come sooner rather than oh, later. Oh. And trust us, we're going to get to that as well. But we're going to start, before we get to the trade, with what we saw on Thursday Night Football. Which wasn't as bad as the last two weeks. No, it was not. Thank Actual God. Actual points. 76 <laughs> points up on the board. Is that right? Did I get the number of 42-34? Yeah. 76 points actually up on the board. The Cardinals throw up 42 42- and they end up taking out uh, the, uh,
2: uh, for Pete's sake, the, the, Saints. <laughs> the
1: Saints, who were just awful. The so Saints, you're
2: great at math, but you can't remember the New Orleans football team's no, name.
1: No, are, are they memorable right now? Because they can put up 34 points, but they're also throwing interceptions all over the place with Andy Dalton, who is just, he's tougher to watch by the day. And then on the flip side, I got Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury getting into it on the sideline. And listen to Kyler as to what that discussion was about.
3: He's real animated over there on the sideline sometimes. So it's always, you know, it's never, It's never you know, calm down. We're good. You know, we're going to make it right. We ended up scoring. So that was good. But, uh, yeah, that's all I was saying. Just chill out. Clock was running down. Um, and we, we couldn't have got off the play that we were trying to run. So it was, I guess it was my fault. I don't know, I'll take it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't think you were saying chill out. Not from no, what I can read you, your lips.
2: you <laughs> could see on those cameras. They did a great job of getting the shot. He was upset. And I understand that because it was a situation where they worked the ball into the red zone. They had, had to settle for field goals the two previous drives. And they wanted to capitalize on that opportunity. They just converted on a fourth and one. So, like, you, you realize, okay, we got to take advantage of this. This is one of those we got to have in this situation because we're down by eight points. And there was a level of urgency that I saw in Kyler in the first half of that game that I hadn't seen all season. And it was reflected in how the team overall played. Carlin, they scored 28 points in the first quarter. I mean, Arizona was one of the worst teams, if not the worst team, in first half scoring differential in the NFL. So it was a good sign to see New Orleans be able to capitalize on the opportunities that their defense made, but also the opportunities that their offense was able to create by methodically being able to drive the ball down the field.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what else. The Cardinals were also 0-6 against the spread in the first
2: half. I know and because they I have to pay attention to that. And they had <laughs> lost eight straight home games
1: Yeah, up until last night. And now that's over with because at the end of the first half, all the Saints kept doing was turning the football over. Two pick sixes, for Pete's sake. And it was almost, Chris, I was afraid that their third crack at the two-minute drill, they were actually going to go and try and do something and turn it over again. And they they ended up just taking a knee. The Saints, look, Saints are toast. You and I were on this early, and I'm, I'm not going to pat ourselves on the back, but I'm, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because at the beginning of the year, it seemed pretty clear that the quarterback position, whether it was Winston or anybody else or Taysom Hill or or even Andy Dalton here, this was not going to be a good situation for the Saints with Dennis Allen as the head coach and, uh, at best, Jameis Winston, who is a turnover machine, and at worst, Andy Dalton. Chris, this was not that hard to see if you're really paying attention to it, and the Saints, to me, uh, this is not at all surprising that they find themselves in this position.
2: Yeah, they don't factor into the math in the NFC South or the NFC playoff picture overall, which makes me feel better about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so, and Tom Brady and them figuring it out because it's a two-horse race in that division. But in looking at the Arizona Cardinals, Carlin, I'm not convinced after last night's performance that they figured anything out either. No, 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 and, no. I mean, they, they got a lot of show and prove left. Now, DeAndre Hopkins being back solves a lot of problems, and you can see now that – there are a lot more opportunities opened up for the rest of that receiving core because of his presence on the field. But it still doesn't seem like that offense has got it all together and they're on the same page. And so that's something that we have to continue to watch. The other thing is the entire new Orleans secondary was banged up last night. No Marshawn Lattimore. Mm -hmm. And it was the secondary on the season that was allowing one of the highest passer ratings of any secondary in the national football league. So let's not crown Arizona and and think that they figured it out based on that performance on Thursday Night Football.
1: No, I totally agree, and I have a feeling that they're going to be a team that just kind of lingers around the outskirts in the NFC West because the rest of that division is not terribly good, but maybe it got a little bit better Last night, very late, after you went to bed. Now, we want you to be a part of the Canty and Carlin Nation. On the Dr. Pepper call-in line, call us at 888-SAY-ESPN, eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper, it ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve.
2: The San Francisco 49s have acquired Christian McCaffrey in exchange for draft picks. That's what sources tell Adam
0: Schefter of ESPN NFL Insider.
2: You combine him, you know, with George Kittle and Debo Samuel, you got a lot of interchangeable parts in that offense. So it's
0: four picks all together for the Carolina Panthers in exchange for Christian McCaffrey.
2: Boy, did they push their chips all in
1: they certainly did Damian Woody it's Canty and Carlin on ESPN radio and on the ESPN app there are a few different things here that are really intriguing about this move by the 49ers and, and number 1 is chris they gave up an awful lot they huh. they absolutely huh. went right at the rams philosophy of blank them picks because they already didn't have a first round pick Uh, with the Trey Lance trade a couple of years ago, and now they pretty much don't have any other picks uh, up until the compensatory part of the third round, which is really fourth round, basically, what it boils down to. A second, a third, a fourth, and then a fourth next year as well, Boy, that is Chris. That's a lot when you're taking on a a lot, a good amount of salary, and a guy that has not
2: been healthy the last few years. Yeah, it's a lot now. From what I understand, it's the second, a third, a fourth in 2023, and Mm -hmm. then a fifth in 2024. Oh, it's a fifth in 2024. It's a fifth in 2024. And yeah, it's a big salary that, that Christian McCaffrey is coming over with. Like, he's got after this season three years, $36 million remaining on that contract. But this year in particular, his cap number is only 690,000 for the San Francisco 49ers. So palatable, it allows them to continue to conduct other business that they have on that roster. But in looking at it, my biggest question is what version of Christian McCaffrey is going to show up for the 49ers? Is it going to be the guy that we saw in 2018 and 2019? Or is it going to be the guy that we saw the last couple of years where he missed 23 of the 33 possible games he could have played in for the Panthers? That's the biggest question that I have about the player. Now, if he's healthy, he fits into exactly what Kyle Shanahan wants to do on that offense, which is being able to move him in a lot of different positions, a lot of versatility. It's almost as if that offense with the pieces that they have in the skill position poor they're playing positionless football. Similar to what we see in the NBA with positionless basketball, that's what they're doing on the football field. They're being able to line guys up in the backfield, line guys up in the slot, line guys up out wide. Think about the interchangeable pieces between Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey and Kyle Juszczyk. That's a lot of different pieces you can move around the chessboard, not to mention you got guys like George Kittle that are in that lineup as well that can do some damage in Juwan Jennings. So I, I like the pieces that Kyle Shanahan has to work with, and it just to me reflects the urgency that they have to compete for a championship knowing how good that defense is.
1: Okay, but is this something that they really need that, that's the other thing that came to mind last night. As I'm looking at the 49ers, I don't look at them and say they are bereft of talent on the offensive side, of mm-hmm. course, because of everybody that uh, you've just mentioned. But I, I don't look at it and say, all right, well, Christian McCaffrey, given everything that's involved with his baggage, comes in and solves a lot of problems right away. He helps. I'm not going to deny that. He obviously helps. But I wonder if the assets would have been better served using it in a different place. Now, we've seen the 49ers get absolutely hammered by injuries this season, especially on defense. You know, with Ward, with uh, Bosa, and and the likes. I mean, these, this puts them in a, in a tough spot where if they're not deep enough defensively, as good as they are, can I rely on all those guys being there? And it kind of made me think, like, well, the 49ers have been better off taking those kind of assets and trading for a Robert Quinn as opposed to trading for Christian McCaffrey. Really, take the defensive line and turn it in, turn it into a dominant situation, somewhat like the Rams did last year with Von Miller. You know that I, I think using those kinds of weapons are using those kinds of assets to get a defensive weapon who can wreck the game in a hurry, along with what I have already, makes it really untenable for offenses I'm going
2: against. Yeah, Robert Quinn probably doesn't cost you as much as Christian McCaffrey does too. No. Because of where he's at in his contract situation versus McCaffrey's. And and there's merit to what you're saying. Because when the 49ers went to the Super Bowl in 2019, they had five guys that could get after the quarterback. Remember, it was DeForest Buckner, it was Eric Armstead, it was Solomon Thomas, it was D. Ford and Nicky Bosa. I mean, mean, one-on-one, those guys are going to win more than they lose, and that's what they rode in order to get to an opportunity to compete for a championship. Now they came up short in the Super Bowl, and we all know why. But all I'm simply saying is this. When you look at what Shanahan likes to do on offense, I get why McCaffrey is a fit. Right now their team, in yards after catch, they're tops in the National Football League. Mm -hmm. Christian McCaffrey helps to fortify that strength. Their running game took a hit when Elijah Mitchell got hurt, okay? Right now, there's only nine teams in the National Football League that have fewer yards after contact. That's a problem when it comes to rush attempts. Fewer yards after contact. There are only nine teams that are worse off than the San Francisco 49ers. So that's an area that Christian McCaffrey should help in terms of being able to keep them on schedule, in terms of how Jimmy Garoppolo operates that offense. Christian McCaffrey gives them a little boost – in terms of taking pressure off of the quarterback and allowing the skill position core to do most of the heavy lifting on that end. They got to score more points, Carla. Right now, they're 20th in scoring offense. They got to bump that up. They got a defense that can get it done. Their defense is tops in total yards and tops in scoring. Their offense has got to come along a little bit. Christian McCaffrey is going to add some juice. Yes, he will add juice. I, I really wonder what the
1: urgency level was, though. <clears throat> Why did it get ramped up? Because clearly it got ramped up here. And was that urgency, the fact that the Rams were very much in the mix to get him? Mm. Because, And that's another thing. If the Rams want to continue to do this, and they're almost in a position now where they had to double down on this. We've talked about this. Yeah. Were you really afraid of the Rams getting Christian McCaffrey if you're the 49ers? Like I, that should not have been a reason. I know they would have had him for the next couple of years. Chris, I don't think McCaffrey would have made the difference for the Rams this year as bad as things are in other places here.
2: Well, you just said it. It might not necessarily just be about this year. It might be about 2023 and 2024, where the Rams are going to have a chance to reboot this thing. They'll have a couple more draft picks, and we'll see you know, how they retool. I mean, we know that the Rams aren't going to stay down long because of who's leading that squad with Sean McVay and Les Need. So. I think there is a bit of an arms race out in the NFC West, and these two teams have been competing for players the last several years. They were competing for Matt Stafford. They were competing for OBJ. This time, the Niners found themselves on the right side of it by being able to land McCaffrey, and not only is he going to help this year, but he's going to help in the future. Whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance, Christian McCaffrey is going to help if he can stay healthy. Now, the other reason why I would say it's a solid move for the 49ers, you look at the NFC, man. Who's the second-best team in the conference? It's a great question. Who's the the second-best team in the conference? You can't definitively say Dallas or New York or Minnesota or Tampa. You can't definitively say anybody. Yeah, okay, so San Francisco has as good a claim to that as anybody (laughs) else. So if you can make a move that can put you in the pole position to be that second-best team in the NFC, you're going to find yourself in good shape down the stretch run. And I've got to believe as this 49ers team gets healthy – this is going to be a tough out for any of those squads. I I,
1: st- I guess I'm just confused by the fact that we have spent the better part of the last three years at least minimizing what the running back means in the NFL now. Yeah, And now this team turns around and unloads a ton when they already were short on draft picks to go and get a running back. That has been hurt quite a bit. There's There's one thing in going all in to me. This move feels a little unnecessarily
2: desperate. Whether it's to keep it away from I, I, the Rams I get, I or what. Get where you're coming from, it feels redundant to some regard. But I don't think it is. Because well, not
1: even redundant, but not, but just not for the for the particular position. I feel like can they navigate this for a while with Jeff Wilson? I, I think it's possible. Yeah,
2: yeah, but think about how important Debo Samuel is to this team. How important mm-hmm. Brandon Ayuk is to this team. Like being able to take some of those rush attempts, those types of touches away from those guys, I think it's going to preserve them as we go through the season as well. They'll have more steam. They'll have more juice in the tank as we get to the games that matter the most in the postseason. So I think that's a part of the equation too. Like making sure that you can use, you know, the versatility of Christian McCaffrey in similar ways to how you use Ayuk and Samuel. So being able to put, those touches on McCaffrey, those hits on McCaffrey, and take some of that off of Debo and off of the other players in your skill position core, I think that matters to Shanahan as well in terms of preserving his guys for when he's going to need them the most. So I I like the move. Again, you needed some more guys that had juice in this offense because it's predicated on yards after catch. It's predicated on being able to break tackles in open space. That's how they get the the majority of their yardage. You got to have guys that can do that, and Christian McCaffrey certainly fits that bill. And the thing that I would say about the investment that they made, McCaffrey is not a traditional running back. He's a satellite running back. You can move him all across the football field. You can target him, you know, five or six times out of the backfield as well as give him 10 to 12 rush attempts. That's how he's going to get his touches. And so that type of versatility is what's going to make it hell for opposing defenses to match up. Again, it's another piece that allows Kyle Shanahan to put pressure on opponents because of the versatility that McCaffrey will bring to that offense.
1: Okay. Last question about this. <clears throat> Did the 49ers just win the NFC West?
2: They're my favorite right now to win the NFC West. They're they're mine too. They're my favorite. And they right are, now. by the way, Caesar Sportsbook's favorite
1: because they are now at minus 120 to win the yeah, division. Yeah, they're,
2: they're my favorite right now. I don't trust the Rams. That offensive line is a, is a mess. I, Seattle is a nice story. I just still don't believe in Geno Smith. I, I just don't. He's played outstanding. He's played great. I just There's something about Seattle that I just don't trust. Their defense is horrible, by the way, as well. So, I mean, th- that's a part of it, too. So, yeah, I would say San Francisco, their roster is probably the most complete out of any of those NFC West teams, and I trust their head coach. And I, I trust their head coach right now with the pieces that he has more than anybody else in the division. I,
1: I guess my problem with the whole thing is that if you are going to trade that much away, you better have just won the division. And look, if he stays healthy, there's no reason why they shouldn't because of all the things that you just said. I really think it has to do with the Rams. I am very curious to see how the Rams respond here. Like, what are, are the Rams going to go out and try to do something before a week from Tuesday, I think it is? They better get an offensive lineman.
2: They're going to make a move. They talk about all of these other sexy pieces. They better go out and get some meat I, and potatoes.
1: Uh yeah, I, the sense I got was that Brian Allen could be back after the bye. They which need is more this they,
2: mean, they need more
1: than Brian yes, Allen. Yes, I, I agree. They need more than Brian Allen. I agree. It's more than a center. I agree, but I I think for them he's the most important piece of the equation. Look. If you make that deal, you better have just won it. To me they're still the favorite. I'm not convinced because he could get hurt so easily that they did just win it. So that's the question to you. Did the 49ers just position themselves not only to win the division, but to be the second best team in the NFC? 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. That is the number on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. We want to hear from
0: you. Did you miss Canty and Carlin?
1: It came at a late hour. Pretty big move by the 49ers. Picking up Christian McCaffrey in a large, large trade. With the Carolina Panthers, it's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio on Sirius XM Channel 80. Right now, for more on that, we welcome in ESPN senior NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler, who joins us right now. Jeremy. Chris and Chris, we appreciate it as usual. What was your reaction when you heard the news last night about the uh, about the trade of McCaffrey to the 49ers?
3: Yeah, Chris, I was about to go to bed, man, and I saw that news, and my first reaction was that that is a major hole for a running back. I know Christian McCaffrey is special when he's healthy. We're talking about a third or a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth round pick, so two day two picks. So to me, that package is probably better then a late first-round pick. So Carolina made out really well. They had leverage. They had the Rams involved, and they had uh, the 49ers coming over the top, and that's really all that it took for two NFC West divisional rivals that didn't want to lose out to one another.
2: Jeremy, looking at the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott is on track to start on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. What are the Cowboys saying about a pitch count or how that thumb injury is going to affect their game planning, if anything at all?
3: Yeah, Chris. I don't really expect any major limitations. You know, they could run the ball a little bit more, but I, you know, they or maybe move the pocket for him. You know, they are um, aware of kind of and really the growing trend around the league quarterbacks hitting their finger on helmets. But you, there's not really much you can do about that except move the pocket on occasion. So he will protect them best he can. But really, with a pitch count and his arm feels good, um, they just they waited to play him until he could protect himself from strip sacks and fumbles. Really and to be able to spin the ball like normal. And uh, right now, I feel like he can do that.
1: Jeremy Fowler, ESPN NFL senior, uh, senior NFL reporter, joining Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. All right, Tua's back this weekend against the Steelers Sunday night. You know, he says the other day, uh, Jeremy, that he didn't even remember uh, really what happened in Cincinnati. This just feels like a case where everybody's going to be sitting on the edge of their seat hoping and praying for this guy, especially the higher-ups in the league.
3: Yeah, that is the case. I mean, there's there's no way to unshake uh, what the shakable image was a couple weeks ago. You know, it's just it is what it is. Nobody's escaping that. Um, you know, that Miami feels like it went through its progressions on this concussion protocol and then some. You know, he saw several independent specialists. Uh, they could have cleared him earlier and didn't. You know, they waited for the right time, thinking week seven was the opportune time to roll him back out. He's fully ready to play and has been for a while. Really, no setbacks. Um, so. This is, at this point, part of football, you know, unfortunately where some might be sort of numb to this, not all, cert- you know, certainly, but it's, uh, it is part of the game. And, and uh, they're trying to, to tweak the concussion protocol, but these hits, talking to people around the league, some of these hits are worse than they've ever been. Even though the rules are different, you can't lead with your helmet, these guys are bigger, faster, stronger, and players are feeling that on Sunday.
2: Talking with ESPN NFL oh. reporter Jeremy Fowler on canteen, Carl, and Carlin. And Jeremy, Switching gears, going to Florham Park. It feels like there's an untenable situation brewing between the New York Jets and their second-year wide receiver, Elijah Moore. Head coach Rob Sala said trading him is not an option after Moore set out from practice this week. He's missing practice again today. He's not going to participate in the game on Sunday, although he is doing conditioning drills and working out. What's going to happen with the Elijah Moore situation? Is this, in fact, a situation where the Jets are going to hang on to him, or would they consider trading him in the next week and a half?
3: So from what I'm hearing, they really don't have any plans to trade him, and, and I do believe them right now. and that things can change if somebody makes them a grand offer, uh, but the feeling is that this is a key piece for them. They just haven't been throwing the ball lately; that they're running at a ton, and a lot of the passing, uh, the pass catchers on that team have been suffering as a result. And so they, you know, they got to figure something out. I, I think next week, if he's in the lineup, they'll try their best to get him involved. Um, this is a player that had a lot of chemistry with Zach Wilson, if you recall dating back to the last couple off seasons. So this is surprising to me. I they, I, I kind of like how the Jets are standing on the ground. They've had two wide receivers sit on them uh, and request a trade. Denzel Mims is the other. And now Mims, because of Moore sitting out, gets a chance to play and, and could create some action, and maybe he'll uh, strengthen his trade market right now.
0: Hey, Jeremy,
1: um, last one from me. And, you know, we saw Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury get into it last night. They obviously won the game. Do you get the sense that we could be in a situation later this year where the Cardinals might have buyer's remorse on either one of them or maybe even both? Oh,
3: you're talking about Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray? And,
1: and Kyler Murray, yeah. Kingsbury with the extension along with Steve Kime and then Kyler Murray.
3: Well, you know, certainly they uh, – that's a great question. I, I don't sense that yet. Uh they knew what they were getting into with, with every situation. You know, they knew Kyler's strengths and weaknesses when they gave him that mm-hmm. money. And it, it's not a lot of guarantees. Uh, you know, It's really about a little over half of the contract is guaranteed. So after like two or three years, if they want to get out of this, they can. They still feel like there are only about 13 or 14 franchise quarterbacks on this earth. Uh, really, if you think of a guy you can build around, he's still one of them, despite the struggles. You know, probably there in that like Derek Carr class of, of quarterbacks. And um, if you have one, you pay him. That's just kind of how it goes, you know. So, and yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, I think you saw last night, you know, the offense, it's different than a lot of others. You know, it's based out. It's all shotgun. It's, it's one-on-one matchups. And uh, that can be easy to defend at times. But when you have a guy like DeAndre Hopkins complimented with Zach Ertz and their other weapons, a good running backs, you, you see the damage they could do like last night.
2: Jeremy, news out of Baltimore is that J.K. Dobbins is going to have to have a scope. They're going to shut him down for the next four to six weeks. What's Baltimore's plan in the backfield in his absence?
3: Well, really the last two years, Chris, they've been trying to make do a running back. Um, you know, they'll they'll go with... Whoever the hot hand is, you know, they've got a stable of them. I mean, heck, they've changed so many times. I have, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here driving. I can't look at the depth chart. But they, <laughs> they've had, I think back to last year, I don't know how many running backs they've had to play. They went to that, like, Le'Veon Bell, Latavius Murray stretch. One thing about Baltimore is they really don't about having to run the ball from the running back spot. Um, and they know Lamar is going to pick and choose his spots to run. Hasn't run as much this year. Um, you know, they're really more worried, more worried about settling their defense down. Uh, you know, they just had moments where they panicked, particularly in
1: the fourth quarter. Jeremy, appreciate it, man. Enjoy the games this weekend. Hey,
3: thanks, guys. Have a good weekend.
1: You too, Jeremy Fowler, ESPN senior NFL reporter, joining us. I tell you, the two t- thing, it, it kind of like I'm almost afraid to watch it a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think that's everybody, though, Carlin. Yeah, you know, we want the best for the young man, but at the same time, you're worried about. What, what could potentially happen to him, not just affecting his professional career, but his quality of life beyond playing in the National Football League. It's similar to how we all felt when Alex Smith came back from that horrific leg injury that he suffered against the Houston Texans some years back. And so we we'll are all be holding our collective breaths, but we're wishing two of the best, and we know the kind of impact that this guy can have when healthy on that Miami offense. Cantian Carlin,
1: ESPN Radio, and on the ESPN app up next... Chris is kind of in a bad way with his baseball team at the moment. They're down two games to none to the Astros. So is it time for a little panic in the Bronx? Hmm. I don't know. Panic, I don't sense. Is it resignation? That might also be it. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio.
0: Go to Shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com slash network. Did you miss Canty and Carlin?
1: I'll tell you what, with Dak coming back this weekend and Tua coming back this weekend, it does raise a very interesting question as to. Which team is going to be affected more positively more? And it's hard for me to, as well as we saw the Cowboys perform without Dak Prescott, and as poorly as we saw the Dolphins perform without Tua, I'm not even sure why it is a question, but I also know that we feel like with Cooper Rush, the Cowboys are very limited with what they could do over the long haul.
2: Um, well, I hear where you're talking about. They're very limited in what they can do, but right now the Cowboys are going to be in the playoffs if they started today. Yeah, you can't say that for the Miami Dolphins, Mm -hmm. which is a part of the problem. So when we talk talking about the impact that the two quarterbacks can have on their team, I think overwhelmingly you're talking about Tua being more impactful in his return than Dak is, even though Dak is the better player. Like That's where I'm at because right now the Dolphins are in last place in the AFC East and overnight that became one of the toughest divisions in all the sport. So that's why I would say Tua's impact would potentially be greater just because I think the stakes for Miami um, and the expectations of the team change in terms of what happens with their postseason fate. I think the Cowboys are going to the postseason whether Dak or Cooper Rush is the quarterback. Now what they do once they're in the postseason is a different story altogether but if Tua doesn't come back and play in the majority of the games down the stretch, then the Dolphins aren't going to be a playoff team.
1: Right. I, I would agree with that. I, they're not going with Teddy Bridgewater, and they're certainly not going with Skylar Thompson.
2: No. they got I, 11 games left. You need Tua to play in at least nine of those games.
1: At 3-3 three and three right now, definitively with Tua, would you, would you say definitively with Tua they are a playoff team? Because they started
2: 3-0 and in the year. With Tua, they're the second-best team in that division. And I would probably say I trust them more than any other second-place team in the AFC, save the Cincinnati Bengals. Can does we, that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. And I know the weapons we're talking about on offense, and I'm assuming that's the biggest reason. They also have a very good defense. I, I need to give them credit for that. Yep. Um, I think it's a little bit closer between them and the Jets how well the Jets have played, but I would still put the Dolphins slightly in front of them if Tua is healthy and out there on the
2: field. Man, listen, the the, the Dolphins beat the Baltimore Ravens and they beat the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I know, but like you uh, see... What, what are you, you going to say, Carlin? You can't argue that. They beat the Ravens and they beat the Bills. Give them credit. But did you see the the thing about
1: the Dolphins, you know, it'd basically be 30 degrees cooler on their own sideline at home?
2: Here we go. I'm I'm not making excuses, but geez. Anything to discredit the Dolphins with Tua.
1: There was a moment last night where I thought the Yankees were going to break through, and that moment was the same moment that everybody else thought when Aaron Judge hit the ball to right, and it looked like it was going out, but it didn't, and... Why it didn't go out is a whole nother matter. We'll get to that in a second. It didn't go out because Kyle Tucker caught the ball. Yes. That's why it didn't go out. And he didn't hit it far enough. <laughs> exactly. That's why it didn't go out. It didn't go out. We can it agree on it that. It wasn't out. The Road to the World Series goes through ESPN Radio. Catch all the postseason action presented by AutoZone on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. It's Canty and Garland on ESPN Radio. And it, it was a little tough to take from Aaron Boone after the game when you're hearing the manager
0: discuss why that ball did not go out of the play. That park. ball the judge hit, I mean, it was only about 370, but did you think it had a chance in that short right? Yeah,
3: I think, you know, who would have thought? I think the roof open kind of kind of killed us. I, I think I think it's a 390 ball. I think it was like 106 at whatever. And when I went out to take Seve out, we noticed it a lot with Tucker's ball. You know, the base hit he got to right, it kind of looked like it just went and stopped and then, I think Judge is a homer all the time.
1: Mm, I don't know if we need to be. I mean, they did, they the, the gave roof the, being open
2: didn't affect Bregman in the third inning.
1: No, it didn't. <laughs> no, it didn't. And they also uh, broke it down later on to show that the only ballpark in the big leagues where it's a home run is Yankee Stadium.
2: That's it. That's it. That's it.
1: A.K.A. Williamsport.
2: Yeah, so let that go. I I think the Yankees losing last night had less to do with the roof and more to do with the team striking out another 13 times. In two games in the LCS, Carlin, you're talking about 30 strikeouts in the team batting 138. That ain't going to get nothing done. We talked about this yesterday on Greeny show. They got to do a better job of putting the ball in play, putting pressure on opposing pitchers, making those guys go out of the stretch as opposed to being able to wind up and put more pressure on opposing defenses. They're not doing either of those with that nope. with their lineup right now, and that's a big part of the problem. And that's why Framber Valdez was able to generate 25 swings and misses, Carlin, with that Yankees lineup last night. 25 swings and misses. That is a problem. I can't fathom
1: re- I I can't remember any team swinging as hard as the Yankees did collectively. In last night's game.
2: Man, Josh Donaldson took some cuts. I was just like, dear God. Now. What are we doing, man? Did you have What a, are we doing? Did
1: you have an issue with uh, Aaron Boone using Matt Carpenter at the end of the game
2: to pinch hit? Boy, that spot sure does find Carpenter, doesn't That's it? That's tough. That's two nights in a row. That spot finds him. Well, yesterday on the Michael K. Show, we know he started game one. The
1: guy who had basically two at-bats since August 8th going into uh, game one of the Astros series, and he's in the starting lineup. So on the Michael K Show on 98.7 ESPN in New York, uh, Aaron Boone in his weekly spot uh, got into it a bit over that decision with Michael. He hasn't played in two months, and then he faces Justin Verlander. I mean, are we really expecting him to do anything significant? I mean, he hasn't faced Major League Pitching in the longest time. Well... <laughs>
3: You're unbelievable. How am I um, unbelievable?
0: How is that an unfair question?
3: He's a great hitter. So we feel like he gives us a chance to impact the game. And, yes, it's not perfect because he hasn't played. There's a lot that's not perfect about this time of year about players that are dealing with injuries or getting back. But you're trying to find a way with guys that are legit. And Matt Carpenter is a great hitter. He's had a lot of live looks. He's healthy. And we're trying to find scrape some offense where we can.
1: And, you know, if you're questioning the decision to put Carpenter in there, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, listen, you want to put him in there to to play one full game in game one on the road when you just need to steal one down there? Yeah. I think that's a tough thing to do. And then last night, after he has a tough game one, you put him in at the end of the game with your last chance. And I, I'll tell you, I know. That you're down a run, Yep. And I know that Donaldson just walked, but it was it wasn't you know a four pitch walk mm-hmm. by any stretch. Taking that first pitch right down the chute was tough to watch. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, right down the chute. No, and, and a lot me, of the Yankees were doing that last night. No,
2: and here's the thing: sometimes the first pitch in the at bat is the best pitch that you're going to get to hit. Like Aaron Judge in the eighth inning, that was a cement mixer that was thrown right in the middle of the plate, an off speed pitch, middle middle. He took it for a ride. Now he didn't get all of it and i'm sure that's one he wishes he could have back but sometimes in an at bat the first pitch is the best pitch that you're going yeah. to see so i understand that approach to it but when you get it you got to take advantage of it just like the opportunity that they had in the fourth inning when you get that error by valdez yep you got to get more juice across you got to scratch across more than two runs you got runners at second and third no outs in that inning you got to get more than what the yankees got which was the two runs like i just there are certain things that you point to and you say they had opportunities and they just didn't take advantage of them. Whether you're talking about the first game or last night, it just feels like this team has routinely come up short against the Houston Astros in Minute Maid Park, and that's That's why I call it a shop of horrors.
1: That's because the philosophy has not changed in five, six, seven years. Get as many guys as we can to hit the ball out of the ballpark, but then when we get to the postseason, that doesn't play as much. Look at the Astros. They put the ball in play.
0: Check out Canty and Carlin weekdays on ESPN
3: radio and on ESPN plus.